0: there and welcome to All Things Montessori, a podcast devoted to discussing aspects of the Montessori approach to child development. If you are a guide in the classroom, a parent of a Montessori child, or someone who is just trying to learn more about it, we cover it all. My name is Rachel Larson, and I'm a Montessori teacher and an administrator, and I'm joined by Jamie Rue, AMI trainer and Montessori consultant. Since it is the first month of school, Jamie and I thought it'd be such a fun idea to sit down and talk through everything that goes into the first month. The planning, the preparation, the excitement, the lessons, the routines, the schedules, the hardship. We wanted to talk through it all because the first month of school is one of the most important times in the Montessori classroom, or any classroom for that matter. So... If you're a teacher right in the thick of this month of September, we hope you gain some insight from this podcast. If you're a parent of a child who's going through their first month of school, this may give you a little bit more background information of all the things that go into it. And so we hope you enjoy this fun episode all about the first month of school. So now we're in the month of September, which you and I both know is the first month of school typically which is a very fun, busy, chaotic, crazy time. Exhausting. Exhausting, yeah, that's another <laughs> adjective. Um, so what would you say are the most important things to keep in mind during the first month of your school year?
1: Well, to remember all those adjectives that you use to describe it, it's it's fun and exciting and chaotic and crazy and exhausting and inspiring and, and all of that is normal and it's okay to feel all of those things about how the how the class is going at the beginning of the school year you know it takes time to build uh, the culture of the classroom even if you're headed back to the same classroom you've been in for 15 years a third of the group is different right a third Mm -hmm. of the group is is brand new to your class and you've got a new culture that has to be You know nurtured in the in the environment so i i mean the big thing to keep in mind is you know you're not going to walk in on day one and have a perfectly normalized three-hour work cycle (laughs) right even my last year of teaching in the classroom with children i couldn't start the school year with everyone just working all day long perfectly without any guidance or support. We quite often had to have some group activities in the middle of the morning work cycle and, and, and in the middle of the afternoon, or maybe the afternoon was a lot of community building and no real work cycle in mm-hmm. those first several weeks of school because it takes time to build up to that stamina of a three-hour work cycle. And they haven't had to do that all summer, mostly, you know, they really haven't. They've been in more structured activities or or completely unstructured. Right. So they need they need time to build that that capacity again.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I think it's I don't know. I, I've seen sort of when children come back they're excited to be back if they're a returning student and that'll last like a day or two where they're just so excited to get back out the checkerboard or like, you know, their favorite material in the classroom. But even that doesn't last. Right. Because it's just sort of a honeymoon
1: period. So yep, um, I agree with you. What else is important besides community building? So I mean, be sure that you're getting out all of cosmic education at, from the get go. So you plan to give those great stories within the first six weeks or mm-hmm. four weeks, even, even in an upper elementary class. You know, And the fun thing about doing it in an upper L class is that you can you can start to tweak the stories and provide more scientific detail or historical detail that they haven't heard in the previous several years. Yeah. Um, but those should definitely be there. That framework's important in the first few weeks of school. Also, uh, you need to be getting a general assessment of some basic academic skills. So it's important to have, you know, informally assessed, children's reading ability and informally assess their basic math uh, operations you know uh, exchanging that sort of thing make sure that those are in place and if they aren't if you've got children that need some additional support then you do need to plan for some daily practice on some of those skills Mm -hmm. you know daily 10 minutes or less super fun like (laughs) super fun like these things are the coolest thing ever. And the guide has to be doing this. Um, so that's another little aspect that can be worked on in those first six weeks, especially to see if those children are making progress or if you need additional support for those children that are that are lagging in some of those. Do
0: you think also that's a good chance to see if this is just summer break or right. if there's something else going yes. on? Yes, yes
1: which is why we have to sort of tackle it immediately Mm -hmm. so that we can get a baseline assessment and then an assessment of progress. Mm -hmm. And then we know how much support this child needs. Simultaneously, all the other sort of presentations in cosmic education have to be offered. Right. Nothing. uh, If a child's struggling in a basic skill that we think they should have already, Mm -hmm. that doesn't stop us from presenting everything else in cosmic education because Mm -hmm. You know, we're doing it in small groups so they can have someone with stronger skills in a group with them, supporting them in those ways. You Absolutely. Know? Right. So. And then it doesn't, you know,
0: call attention to them or make them feel worse about what's mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're speaking, when you're thinking about the lessons you're giving during the first month, like how do you, let's say that you're entering a new classroom uh, where you don't know any of the kids. Um, what's your being a new teacher stepping into that role, how do you, how would you
1: tailor the lessons for the first month? Well, I think for the, you know, to, to begin with, mm-hmm. um, I don't look at children's records mm-hmm. from their previous environment or from the previous year until I've gotten to know the children. So I don't actually allow those to guide me when I'm first planning for the year. I don't wanna, I want to let the child have a new start from whatever has happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And I don't want any prior knowledge to influence my interaction with the child. So I wouldn't use those until I start to see that maybe they would be supportive. Like sure. maybe, you know, how has this child handled reading in the previous years or whatever? So I would, in, if it's a six to nine class, you'd have to plan that those six-year-olds are with you of the first month of school, Mm -hmm. like all day long, you're going to get little moments or 10 minute breaks from them, but they just don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And they need to be slammed with lessons Mm -hmm. all day long for several weeks (laughs) before they're going to have enough to choose from to be able to work independently for for an entire work cycle. Right. So that means that a guide is giving the six-year-olds I don't know, four to eight lessons a day for mm-hmm. four weeks, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, or at least planning for that. Yeah, sure. Until they want to work independently and can work independently for longer periods of time. And seven and eight-year-olds might be in some of those presentations too, Yeah. Uh, but they also have more to draw from to work independently mm-hmm. and particularly those first several weeks. So six-year-olds need a lot to choose from so that they feel comfortable and confident in their extra time in the classroom.
0: Speaking of six-year-olds, what's your opinion on, cause I've done this before and I don't know if it was a mistake or not. Um, when you have a new six-year-old in the classroom, You know there is some overlap from primary. So like, what if they wanted to count a bead chain?
1: Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. If they want to, that's a familiar one of the only familiar materials. Right. Or do they want to just build the trinomial or binomial cubes? Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. I generally had also uh, a basket of rocks I've collected over the Mm -hmm. years that I could encourage a young one who just needed some settling time to sort. How do you want to sort these? Do you want to sort these by color, by mm-hmm. stripes, by you know uh, something that can sort of recenter them or be meditative? Because exactly, especially those little six-year-olds, they're still—they've got one foot in the first plane, I know, still in yeah. one foot in the second. Sure. So yeah, sometimes they need a little bit of an individual activity. So you can have some, you know, like just like we'd have transitional exercises in the primary when they first come in we can have some of those in the elementary as well at the beginning of the year Mm -hmm. because the goal we have is not to you know we're not super focused on jump-starting their their academic progress at that beginning of the year right we want to orient them to this classroom here's how we do things here here's how we work here here's what work looks like it's really different from primary where the work is contained on a tray and the child knows that they get it all to themselves and they they work with it until they're done and they put it back in the elementary they have to gather things from all over the classroom right. they mm-hmm. have to work with peers and they want to but they're not as skilled at that it's a whole different ball game and they need time and support to you know to learn all of those aspects of working together in the environment they really do they're all over the place and they're so cute and they just it's like they're just Spinning around in a circle, mm-hmm. is what I think mm-hmm. of six-year-olds. <laughs> because it's, because the, it, Montessori says and I think it's in To Educate the Human Potential. Mm-hmm. The chapter, first chapter is titled uh, The the child confronted with the cosmic education plan, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is a confrontation. This is a whole rebirth into the second plane of development. This child is confronted with it all. And that's a lot to take in. So that's where we have to give them uh, support and guidance in navigating the structure of the classroom, the systems in place and, and the working together. So oftentimes in September, you'll feel as a guide, like you haven't, um, like you haven't given that many academic lessons and that's okay. Write down all the other lessons, how to carry a chair, how to, how to push in your chair, how to interrupt someone, how to work together in a group, how to, you know, like all of those things are, you know, important presentations in that first month. Yeah.
0: They, I feel like those are almost equally important. I mean, obviously academics are important, but you know, knowing how to be a person in the elementary classroom, how to be respectful, how to have social skills, how to talk to an older child, how to talk to a child your age—all of those things. Well, because it's going to serve them the rest of their time in elementary. And if you don't give it to them, I mean, obviously, all the other children need constant reminders too, because they like to forget as well. But yeah, I think that's super important. Um, I was thinking, oh, uh, another thing about six-year-olds, and then we can move on because six-year-olds just fascinate me. What do you feel about observing a lesson especially when they're 6 and maybe they're not choosing their own work but they want to watch another work and how can you keep that productive and
1: do you agree with doing that the first month or is that something that comes later Well I mean they can always observe yeah. other presentations or participate mm-hmm. if the guide yeah. is okay with that uh-huh. you know I mean the wor- what's the worst thing that happens if a child comes to a presentation that they don't that they're not ready for yet like what's the worst thing that could happen nothing they have a great time (laughs) like they are confused and they walk away or they i mean you know yeah there's nothing bad that can happen from a child coming to something they're not ready for except that it helps them recognize they're not totally ready and Mm -hmm. that they have other places they need to work uh so you know observing or participating in lessons is is normal and important and to be honest, these young ones, especially, well, and older ones too, we aren't always going to see the work that's going to emerge out of the presentation immediately after it's over. Right. And particularly when they're new to the environment, they don't know what follow-up work looks like. Yeah. And so if we're wanting to see it, we have to participate in the follow-up. It has to happen as part of the presentation. So we have to guide that. We have to sit with the child until they're started on the follow up work, or even finished, or mm-hmm. call it
0: call it good, or do it with them, or mm-hmm. like like for example, like making a booklet. When you say let's make a booklet, like actually doing it, yep, with them, yep, yeah. This took me a few months to learn because I just thought follow up work would just happen.
1: Oh god. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, in your album it says, and the children will
1: choose right. follow up, right?
0: They'll work beautifully. That's. A joke it does happen eventually it really, does it really happen really does. eventually really the does. Culture,
1: but that it takes time to build that culture yeah and there's not going to be follow-up from every presentation that's another really good
0: point because sometimes I feel like you can go into a lesson already thinking about okay what are the kids going to do with this and that's not the point you know the point some of it yes you do want them to continue and work with it you know and if maybe they don't work with it the first time you just have to represent and then they'll get it the next time but I used to I would get in a mindset of you know what's the product going to be yeah and that's not a good
1: no it isn't of, yeah. because again if we're starting like starting a new class and i don't look at the records ahead of time i'm just going to start thinking about what would be fascinating for children in these different areas what have i seen in the brief amount of time i've been with them that shows me where their interests lie and then but also what what can i make interesting to to every child mm-hmm. you know i can tell I can do a fundamental needs chart presentation that's interesting to every child, whether you're six or you're 12, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that usually can stimulate a lot of interest in work. And if they are going to make their own chart or something afterwards, that might keep them busy for a few minutes and you can give another lesson to right. somebody else, yeah. <laughs> you know, especially at the beginning of the year. Yeah. I'm always looking for um, presentations that have exciting follow-up opportunities mm-hmm. that would keep them engaged for five or ten minutes particularly the new ones that need a lot of guidance so dissecting a flower and labeling its parts that's a great one right that usually is exciting I for always children found all the botany things was
0: just fantastic in the beginning yeah. of the school year well the weather is still okay i mean i yeah. don't know where everybody is in the world teaching but in virginia it's fine and mostly it's like you know coming off of summer it's temperate um, so anything that involved in nature walk was always just awesome
1: yep (laughs) and we have to remember that Montessori asks us to sow seeds all the way through the elementary experience Mm -hmm. and that means when if you've ever gone out and sown seeds you throw them in the dirt (laughs) yeah and you put a little bit of dirt on top of it and you nurture the environment around it Mm -hmm. so everything that we're doing with the children that starts in September is not we're not like digging up the seeds to see how they're growing or forcing the seeds to prove to us that they're growing or have a final product right like we're not doing that yeah what we need to do is sow the seeds and this is a it's a almost like a paradox to a certain extent at the beginning of the year in particular okay so we're sowing seeds we're not worried about them growing but if there are lagging academic and social skills then we're working daily on those mm-hmm to check for progress. And I think it's important to remember that it's for the academic skills. So a child that's not reading or a child that's not writing or a child that's not able to do, you know, basic counting or math operations, you know, we need to work on those daily to support those skills and see that progress is happening. We also do need to do that for social skills. So a child that doesn't know how to have a conversation to collaborate with another child, a child that um gets explosive, when they're frustrated with someone, those are also lagging skills that we have to support on a daily basis from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So while we're not, those we're going to be measuring a little bit for progress to make sure that we don't need external assistance for a particular child. But then the general sort of approach of cosmic education is to sow these seeds and and nurture the environment in which they've been planted until they grow and that might be that they grow a year from now or a week from now or 3 years from now mm-hmm. and that's the patience too because the uh learning rarely happens in a lesson it happens when the children are working independently or it happens 6 months later have you ever had that experience where yeah. you, you sort of take something in you don't fully understand it, and you're lying in bed or you're in the shower. You're, I mean, like, suddenly yeah, it clicks. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I've also seen it in the classroom, too. I've seen where I've given a presentation, and weeks will go by, and then I see it out again. And then mm-hmm. I see them working on it. And then I see, okay, they're ready for the next step. Yep.
1: Yeah. That's and really that's. Great. And that's from that observation Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. and so in the first month of school as busy and overwhelming as it can be at times we still have to carve out that time for observation formal observation of the children like who's 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 doing what and who are they working with and how are they working and if we don't take 10 at least 10 minutes a day to really you know dig into that Mm -hmm. uh, we're not going to have the data that will support us in you know, guiding the child further. Absolutely.
0: Uh, what else do you think is important to keep in mind? So we've covered academics and community building. Um, I mean, anything in regards to parent relationships,
1: (laughs) I was just going to say, like, then there's that aspect of it, right? We need Mm -hmm. to, we need to focus on, on parents and supporting parents. So we need to, um, We need to build relationships with them. There should be parent events in the first month of school, both social, simply Uh social, as well as, you know, maybe informative in some way. Uh, And, you know, the guide should reach out and really interact with every parent in that first month, you know, on a personal level. And especially at the beginning of the year, parents need to be reassured about this decision they've made. You know, unfortunately, Montessori education is still sort of alternative and strange and they need reassurance that they're doing the right thing and the relationship with the teacher is critical to that so being sure that every parent hears a positive anecdote about their child in the first few weeks of school whether it's at dismissal or arrival or a social event or you just have to give them a phone call Mm -hmm. and check in they need to they need to know that you're figuring their kid out and that you love their kid and that you see who they are and so you have to make that sort of effort this first this first month or so of school as well
0: that's so true i i think it's because you emphasize this a lot in training you were talking about how you would call your parents once a month and i remember sort of thinking that was a lot and then i started doing that and the community that i built it was amazing because even when there were hard times or, you know, we'd have to work through a conflict or something that was going on with the child or whatever it may be. Um, we had that relationship. Yeah. yeah. And that's what mattered because they trusted me, they respected me. And also I was kind to them and they were kind to me. That goes a long way. Yeah. I think it's huge. And the parents, if they don't, I found, I think if they don't have that communication from you, they're just going to sit there and wonder and worry and freak out. Or yep. just make up things, you know, or they're gonna to listen to what their child's saying, or and then sort of misinterpret a million things that could be happening. But if you just pick up the phone and call them, or like you said, I mean, even car line, just sharing something, it can yep. be anything. Parents just wanna know. Yeah,
1: yep. And uh, when you've built that relationship like that, then they start feeling like they can come to you, then they start feeling like they don't need to complain in the parking lot or, right. you know. But even when you say, I'm accessible, please reach out to me, you need to prove that. And mm-hmm. that's through connecting with them. And then they'll feel more comfortable reaching out to you with questions or concerns or worries. Or, or they might just start calling you periodically to tell you something positive. Right. right. You know? mm-hmm. uh, so that's a huge part of that month of September as well. I always like to have a classroom parent child social event at the beginning of the year. Oh, yeah. Cool. So school usually had a big thing. um, And then within a few weeks after that, we would try to do something just for our class. So even
0: though I'm just looking at this from a teacher lens, even if the class isn't like normalized, you would want the parents to come in. Or we do an evening potluck. Gotcha. So more like a social thing with all the community. Yep.
1: Just to get to know Mm -hmm. each other and see each other. So I I usually had. Uh, you know, four or five social events through the year with parents, mm-hmm. um, depending on the community. Sometimes we rented a space or a, you know, a picnic area. But uh, also I had uh, families that were happy to to host and we'd have a potluck or something like that. And it is a powerful way for the parent community to build. So I, I do highly encourage that. So this makes September really exhausting yes (laughs) september is so there's so much Mm -hmm. you know and then being patient with yourself i think this is the time in the year where everyone's been there a few weeks now and and we're all wondering why it's not just all settled and perfect Mm -hmm. and the reason why (laughs) is that it's not supposed to be right it's not Kate, i mean you've got 30 humans or 22 humans individuals with their individual personalities working together it's it's not going to immediately settle Mm -mm, and Montessori in her work with children she didn't come in on day one and say how am I going to make this normalized that's not the way she approached it she went in and she on day one and said what do these children need Mm. that was her goal it was not a normalized classroom normalized emerged from her watching and responding to their needs. So we have to keep that in mind. We tend to think, how can I get this classroom settled and working? No, what we should be asking always is, how can I meet the needs of the children in front of me? Mm-hmm. And that might be by, you know, by ending the work cycle at 10:15 because they're all losing it, <laughs> right. and doing whole class activities inside and outside. For the rest of the morning, that's that's a very Montessori thing to do. Absolutely. <laughs> right, take a step back, look at the classroom. It's chaotic, or it, maybe
0: if maybe if you just think everybody needs a break. Yes. Maybe it's a beautiful day outside. Yes. And you want to play? Um, I don't know, some sort of tag or capture the flag or whatever, yep.
1: which builds the community and helps recenter some of that activity. And you can try for an independent work period again in the afternoon. And so that's important to remember. Sometimes when you're a few weeks in, in September, you're thinking,
0: I'm just <laughs> going to
1: make them work. Right. Well, sometimes that, that means pulling them away and playing a game or singing a song or mm-hmm. doing some community service. Let's go pick up trash in the, in the neighborhood. Let's do, you know, like any number of things that can be productive and supportive of their self-construction, but not an actual work period. Right.
0: Well, the thing about that is though, all those things are work. Yes. And I think as a guide in the classroom, I did this too. Yeah, you get so focused on, oh, like they're not doing the follow-up work or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, But that is not the only form of work. And if they're concentrating, if they're working together, if they're showing signs of, you know, collaboration and respect, that's progress. And yeah, it's
1: productive. Yeah, absolutely. And it helps them feel safe in their community mm-hmm. and children who feel safe and connected to the people around them in their work community are going to feel safe enough to risk and and work mm-hmm. but if they don't feel safe and connected they're not going to take really exciting academic risks and that's what we want them to be doing
0: yeah so the children we want them to feel more comfortable with you know doing all those academic you know taking those risks feeling more comfortable but you know What I always thought was something that I didn't really expect was, you know, getting the lunch routine perfect. Or like, how am I going to handle dismissals for car line? Those are the most detail-oriented aspects, I feel like, of the classroom, actually. Like, it makes lessons seem easy. So easy. So can you speak a little bit about
1: that? Like, how those sorts of
0: routines are really important?
1: They're essential. You have to build systems to for the class to function and work mm-hmm. together and mm-hmm. or you'll never have a work cycle that's sustainable. Uh, and those things take time. So from the very get-go, the first time you take the group outside, mm-hmm. you have to have a system in place for how that's gonna happen. Does everyone change their shoes all at once? Is Do you have room for that? Do they, yeah. you know, d- I, we went across the street to a park. So we had to all go at the same time because we had to cross the street and have the right number of adults. I mean, all of those kinds of systems you have to consider. And they take double or triple the amount of time that they will take once everyone gets the system. Mm -hmm. Which is great because in September, they're not sustaining a work period often enough. So it's totally fine that lunch takes two hours. (laughs) Lunch and recess take two hours instead of The hour and a half or an hour and 15 minutes or whatever you have scheduled Mm -hmm. for it. It's going to take longer right now. And that's okay because that's going to then build so that, you know, come December and January, you're everything's running like clockwork. But take the time now and be consistent. So this is the time of year to never be inconsistent with the children, to be really on top of all the systems and all the sort of expectations for behavior even if it means interrupting a lesson. Yeah. So what
0: would you say? I found this to be really hard to, um, not not in some areas, but you know these children are going to try to push the limits and mm-hmm. not necessarily in bad ways. Sometimes they're right. just not going to do the process the right way. This could be something with like a supply shelf issue or it could be anything. And maybe they just forgot. It's so easy for yourself, I feel like, to forget too. Like, oh, well, that only happened one time. But like right. then that one time turns into five times, and then somebody else is doing it, and then it's just a whole right.
1: thing. Right, you have to intervene because that's exactly what'll happen mm-hmm. until the community is strongly set and everyone knows all the systems. That if you let one child go on a certain system, it will snowball, right? Yep. So you do just have to, you do just have to be aware and, and interrupt a presentation, even, and that's going to happen a lot at the beginning of the year. This time of the year, the adult is rarely going to give an uninterrupted presentation. That's so true. And that's okay because it shouldn't be the assistant managing the behavior. The behavior stuff is as important as the academics, therefore the guide needs to be doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can't say that all that I do as a guide is the academics and the assistant handles classroom management because yeah, who's trained, work. who's right. trained in this classroom. <laughs> right. right. And who's building the system and the culture of the classroom, the guide. And so the guide has to be involved in all of that. And, and it's also not fair to your assistant. Your no. assistant cannot be a
0: police officer because no. then the children are going to resent your assistant. And then yeah. that's not fair for that person. Yeah. And then what are you just the fun, loosey goosey person that doesn't make sense No. because then they won't respect you in a way. No. It goes, yeah, it goes both ways. Yeah, that's really interesting. What do you think is the hardest process to establish? My, I think my, I think lunch
1: was the lunch. Hardest. Yeah, yeah. So it's, lunch because there's so many transitions. There's the transition from the end of the work period mm-hmm. to setting up for lunch, to then eating lunch, to then cleaning up from lunch, to then recess is usually how it goes, or recesses first. But whatever the case, this is a an hour if you can get it down to an hour. Yeah, <laughs> of <laughs> I don't know, five transitions within one hour time period. Yeah. And that's a lot. Um, yeah. So it's going to take two hours at the beginning of the year. That's why in September, because the weather's generally nice, I usually did a picnic lunch outside so mm-hmm. that we didn't have to worry about setting up the lunch system since we were setting up so many other systems. Here's how you write in your work journal, and here's how you keep track of your work. Here's how you Come to the rug for a a song. Here's, I mean, all, All you know, all of the systems. Here's how we walk across the street. Here's how we, so I usually tried to save lunch until later. Did you find that they had an easier time with it later on? Yeah. Or I don't know if they did, but I certainly did. (laughs) Like I had more patience for the lunch system. So even if the weather was crummy, Uh, we'd sit in a circle on the rug and eat a picnic lunch inside where they'd eat out of Mm -hmm. their lunch boxes. Because I had a pretty elaborate lunch system. We ate off, we had placemats and napkins and plates and glasses and all of that. So that just takes a lot. And I just didn't want to focus on that at the beginning of the year. So I usually started the year with picnic lunches. That's good for community building too. because you're all together. We sit in a circle outside or we sit in a circle inside, but we're all eating together. Mm -hmm elementary children are going to form cliques naturally but at the beginning of the year i really try to keep us in a group a lot of the time so that the community builds and the cliques don't dominate at the start so speaking of cliques
0: um, i've had a personal experience with this coming back um, for the beginning of the school year but in a classroom where i've been the guide for a couple years uh, where i naturally have relationships with all, all the kids that are returning and, you know, that, uh, you know, that strictness you have at the beginning of the year, you know, they've seen the fun side of me because I have a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you work on still maintaining boundaries with those children mm-hmm. who maybe think that they know you and yeah. think that they're already like, oh, I'm set in the classroom. Like, this is my classroom. Like, you don't want to take that away from them. It is their environment. They are returning. Yeah. But, like, you know you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think you have to sort of say, I mean, you just say to them, like, it's the beginning of the year and we have new children in the class. So we're going to be really strict about this system and we're going to be really strict about this way of treating each other or whatever, because we're showing our new community members how our community functions. Yeah. And so we just have to tell them. Right. They can handle it. (laughs) They can handle it. That's the (laughs) wonderful thing about the reasoning mind. I know. Right. The other thing to remember this time of year, like as September wraps up, you kind of think, okay, all this is done and I should be able to have just every day a solid work period for the rest of the year. And that's not going to always happen either. So feel comfortable. Always have in your bag of tricks a list of group activities or fun things that could happen if it looks like the group needs a break. It looks like the group needs to get together and do something fun together and you can do that as a whole class or maybe you just take half the class that that needs to you know do a group activity but the other half is really happy working independently Mm -hmm. um and i think that's that's part of an uninterrupted work period you know yeah it's when the guide sees that the children need some support we're not It's not like we're interrupting them. We're helping them get focused or settled again. Absolutely. And that's okay.
0: Yeah. And you're so right. It's not all just going to magically come together at the end of September. You know, I've always kind of looked at it like a roller coaster. Like you're Mm going to have a month or maybe a couple of weeks where it just feels awesome. But then there's always these one-off days that you're going to think, what? Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Have you been listening
0: this whole year? Right. But I think it's really important not to guilt yourself, not to go down that, oh, well, I should do this. I should do this or just making yourself feel bad because you're not
1: it's not your fault and it's not personal no so it's easy to do some self-blame in those situations mm-hmm. but instead step back and say instead of self-blame say okay what can I control here like what can I do what do I see this going on this room is falling apart <laughs> <laughs> nobody's engaged in work there's you know just a level below chaos happening in here. What, what role can I play? Like, can I get some kids refocused and, or is this time to pull the whole group together for a song or a game, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, or is there something I can do to the prepared environment? So yeah, like we have to remember the only person we control in the classroom is ourselves. Like we aren't controlling any other human being. So we do have to look at ourselves and say, what can I do to make a change in this? Mm-hmm. But not with us, with blaming, not not with feeling guilty and ashamed and frustrated and whatever, but with sort of the, okay, how can I, what positive effect can I make? Here? Can I, yeah, exactly.
0: I think that's so true. Because when you start the blame game, you just, I would feel more withdrawn because mm-hmm. I would just be in my own head. And yeah. rather what you're saying is, It's a proactive way of thinking. Yeah. What can I do to help?
1: Yeah. Which is
0: essentially our job.
1: And sometimes we can't do anything. Yeah. Like sometimes we're just going to look and say, this might be a slightly chaotic morning. Like, Mm -hmm. okay. No one's being injured. (laughs) Look at the positives, right? Yeah. (laughs) There's no (laughs) blood or vomit in the classroom. Like that's, (laughs) that's okay. It's good. It's okay when you're seven to have. An unproductive morning. It's okay Especially when you're... Especially the first month of school. Yes. And it's okay when you're 47 to have an unproductive morning. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Gotta
0: cut them. It's like you to cut the children a break, but also yourself a break at yeah. the same time. Yeah. While still maintaining that consistency and strictness. Just because maybe you go out for a group game, that's not saying you're not being a strict and good
1: guide. Right. You're just identifying the needs. And responding to them, mm-hmm. and a big support in that, especially this, well, all year long, but especially early in the year, is is reaching out to colleagues and mentors. Mm-hmm. So part of the reason, the main reason I was able to do the things I did in my classroom was that I had a strong mentor next door who I who had the upper L class who I could go to when I needed support or guidance or felt like I wasn't doing anything right, mm-hmm. uh, and to inspire me. And so I think that's the, that's also, if you don't have somebody on campus, reach out to your trainer, reach out to your, uh, the people you trained with, you know, like reach mm-hmm. out and get some support, reach out on EAA talk.
0: Yeah. That's um, great. There's so many Facebook groups. Like I didn't have a mentor in house. Um, that was teaching in a classroom. However, I had an amazing administrator that I mean, it was kind of our joke that I basically lived in her office my first year because she was right down the hall. And the amount of times I would just go in there and sit down, sometimes we would talk, sometimes I would cry, Some, but she was always just there to listen and help. I called you you know, and also talk to your friends who aren't Montessorians. Sometimes that's nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just, (laughs) just get away from it is also good. Um, but yeah, trainee friends, there's so many outlets out there. Um, really important not to alienate yourself.
1: Yeah. And to feel so isolated because this is isolating work because you're, and you're giving so much of your energy all day long. So, you know, remember to do that self-care every evening, make sure that you're, You're keeping yourself positive and be open to the possibilities. I was just talking with my husband the other day about my first year of teaching and the really diverse skill range I had of children uh, in that first group of, I think I had eight first years. Uh, And I had one, like, you know, I'm sure he was, I don't know what his actual IQ or anything was but he's really brilliant and nothing was interesting to him literally nothing, nothing. that Ugh. I gave him because he knew everything and he mm-hmm. and he basically only loved chess so he told me well you know I all I care about is trebuchets I really and I said fine let's let's build one so here I am with a six-year-old my first year of teaching doing nothing from my albums I mean i presented stuff to him but he thought it was all boring right and so we're figuring out how to build a trebuchet out of wow, I don't know what we made it, popsicle sticks or we used some sort of maybe it was balsa wood, something. Anyway, we built a trebuchet. And of course, if you don't know the difference between a catapult and a trebuchet <laughs> I don't. So please Right? Go on. I didn't know until I <laughs> this child helped me understand because a catapult a, a trebuchet uses a counterweight and so that's how oh. so it does a whole arc of cool. the release whereas uh, catapults using the resistance to cause the oh yeah the yeah cool right so cool but that's also the kind of thing to be thinking about i this work started in the end of september i remember because mm-hmm. he was he basically was telling me he was bored every day <laughs>
0: Right, so you're just like, okay, so what do I do with you? Yeah, you know?
1: so he built a trebuchet. That's awesome. Those are the kinds of things we have to keep in mind, too. We've mm-hmm. got our albums that contain a lot of really good keys to get the children started, and of course we want to do those, but then we also want to respond to their interests. Yeah. So, you know, build a trebuchet. Yeah. With I mean, a six-year-old. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> and, and keep notes of those things, too, because you never know when
0: that's going to arise again. Right. You know, I, I've given a lot of lessons that I've just... Kind of made up either on the fly or identified something in a child and just tried it out and then i just made a
1: note of it and if, yeah because it worked yeah it up. works and you could use it again like yeah. the keys montessori and the seeds she gave us to offer the children mm-hmm. are a really good start mm-hmm. but they're not the only thing we need to be doing right because yeah, you might have a child like that who It's not serving. Or you have children who are really struggling with academic skills. You can't just only do that. No. You have to find their interests, right? So Mm -hmm. if they're struggling with math, but they're super into music, like, let's, okay, well, let's take a look at some beats. Like, let's... Tell me how fast the speed is. How many, let's count the number of beats in a minute. How would that look if we doubled it? Like, go ahead and pull out GarageBand. I can bring math into a lot of other stuff. Math is in music and it's in pretty much everything. Right. Which is great. So we can focus on those skills, but we should, we also have to be like excited and inspiring to the children as well so that they build a relationship and want to work on this. We're not going to get them going in an area if we haven't built a collaborative relationship with them. So true.
0: So what's your, like, number one piece of advice for September or beginning of the school year? It's not just September.
1: Uh, Well, make sure you're getting enough rest. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that you're not overburdening yourself outside of the school day Mm -hmm. because, as we've talked about, there's so many things that you have to do with the children and the parents and everything else and make sure that the children are having fun. They should come home every day joyful and happy. And it's our job as guides to make sure that that happens. So there's, you have to have a positive interaction with every child every day, where you're building relationship, you're being authentic with them and connecting with them and making sure that they have fun at school every single day, that's our job. Mm -hmm. It's so simple, but
0: that's true. (laughs) I remember you saying, They need to be going home smiling, whatever Mm -hmm. it takes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: Like,
0: okay. Right. Like, do art in the afternoon. Do something fun in the afternoon right
1: before they go home or something.
0: I mean, not that their whole day is not smiling. You know? Right. That's ideal. But if
1: you're feeling like they're not, like, if you feel like you haven't reached a child or a group or the whole class in a given day, Mm -hmm. or you've been spending the whole day reminding them of systems over and over again (laughs) because they're not remembering, and you then do something really fun at the end of the day to remember that... This is a fun place and we love being here and we love working together. That's a, that's a key. And if you as a guide are feeling like it's not fun at the end of the day, then you've got to figure out for the next day, what's going to be fun for you? Because yeah. if you're just grudgingly going through presentations, that's not fun for anybody. Nope. So it doesn't, you, you really need to find the joy yourself and only give the lessons that give you joy for a little while. That's yeah. fine. It is fine.
0: I did that with music my first year because I'm a musician. So one music, the music album, I mean, it's easy. I don't really have to, pre- I didn't have to prepare those lessons because I knew it in my bones because I've been doing it forever. And during your first year teaching, you're just constantly reviewing your albums. You're like preparing for lessons. So that was sort of my safe haven. Mm-hmm. If I was feeling like I need to give a really good lesson, I knew I could just knock it out of the park
1: with a music lesson.
0: And it worked.
1: So Yeah. yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. And then just give lots of lessons, as many as you can. As many as you can. But also, mm-hmm.
0: you know, take a breath and mm-hmm. it's you'll get through it. And it's
1: it's also a really fun time of year. It's my so so favorite fun. time of year. You get to tell all the
0: great stories. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah, you're starting a new so community, fun. all these new connections. Mm-hmm. It's, you're, it's amazing. It's a really great time. Yeah. So savor it. Take some nature walks yes, <laughs> and, uh, and connect with those people that are going to inspire you so that you can inspire the children.
0: Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at allthingsmontessoripod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at, at allthingsmontessori. Jamie and I are dedicated to continuing the conversation and we hope you tune in next time for more discussion.